an oral biography. All right. We got a little bit different challenge than, than preaching a sermon. So I want you to think about 17th century. Life's hard being a Christian then. Uh, life is hard just living during that era. Life is really hard if you happen to be an evangelical Christian and you're not conforming to the way the government wants you to do religion. So what I want to talk about tonight with John Bunyan, venturing all on God, is primarily taken from the autobiography, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. I'm also borrowing a number of things from Pilgrim's Progress, and I want to encourage you to read that. And if you say, I, I don't have time, then get Dangerous Journey and read that one. And you'll love it, and you'll be wanting to go back and read the fuller version of it there. And I'm, I'm borrowing material from a number of, of writers. So, let's begin. Gathering to worship without threat is something that we consider uh, to, to be a right for us. But that was not the case uh, for John Bunyan, nor is it the case for uh, maybe the majority of Christians around the globe. Uh, in 17th century England, to participate in worship had to be done in the way that it was prescribed by Charles II, who was the king of England. And if you were guilty of worshiping in a way not prescribed by the king, you'd be put in prison. Uh, if you didn't conform to the law, th then a third offense meant that you could be transported as a slave for seven years and sent to a foreign plantation, probably in the North American colonies. And if you tried to escape, because you were worshiping in ways that the King of England said you couldn't, you could be put to death. Well, enter John Bunyan, who for holding an, un an unauthorized assembly for gospel purposes, uh, they call these conventicles. We don't use that term. It just means an assembly. He was arrested and imprisoned. He stood before a Justice Keelan who threatened to banish him from the realm and Bunyan replied, if I was out of prison today, I would preach the gospel again tomorrow by the help of God. Oh, for the boldness of John Bunyan. And despite the years behind bars, Bunyan never wavered. The gospel was too precious for him uh, to be silent in order to be free of jail. He said, come, be of good cheer. He wrote this while he was in prison. Come, be of good cheer. Let us not be daunted our cause is good. We need not be ashamed of it. To preach God's word is so good a work that we should be well rewarded if we suffer for that. Now, what if, in our case, what if we face that kind of situation? Would we have the kind of graciousness, faithfulness, and boldness that we see exemplified in John Bunyan? Would we retreat in, as cowards? Well, let me begin by looking at living in Vanity Fair. When you read Pilgrim's Progress, you will see a section called Vanity Fair. And it's really a description of life in the 16th and 17th century England. And so this is what Bunyan talks about in Pilgrim's Progress. That Christian, the main character, and his companion faithful met with evangelists as they continued their way toward the celestial city, toward heaven. 
They'd passed through the wilderness. Now they were in the town of Vanity Fair. And evangelists encouraged and exhorted them. And he said, My sons, you have heard in the words of the truth of the gospel that you must through many tribulations enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again, that in every city bonds and afflictions abide in you. And therefore, you cannot expect that you should go so long in your pilgrimage without them in some sort or the other. And then he warned that when they came to the town of Vanity Fair, one or both of them would seal their testimony with blood. And so he exhorted, but be you faithful unto death, and the king will give you a crown of life. Now, one thing you'll notice when you read through Pilgrim's Progress, it's just saturated with Scripture. You'll, you'll see an illusion. You'll see direct quotations, and this is one of those. So the two pilgrims, Christian and faithful, entered the city, and they found this amalgamation of the kingdoms of the world. Chief among them was Rome, and her merchandise, Bunyan says, is greatly promoted in this fair. A Christian and faithful stood out in the city, though they didn't do anything to draw attention to themselves. And the narrator, as he's going through, describes how they were distinguished from the people living in Vanity Fair, just living in the world. First, the pilgrims were clothed with such kind of raiment as was diverse from the raiment of any that traded in that fair. What Bunyan meant was they were clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and it was noticeable by the other people in the world. Second, as they wondered at their apparel, so did they likewise at their speech, for their speech reflected their citizenship as part of the kingdom of God rather than the kingdom of this world. And third, the pilgrims had no care for the wares being offered at Vanity Fair, saying that their trade and traffic was in heaven. So they did not love the world or the things in the world. And although they did nothing to attack people in Vanity Fair, they simply had their clothing, their speech, their lifestyle as pilgrims on the way to the celestial city. They offended the world uh, that is typified here by Vanity Fair. Therefore, uh, Bunyan said, they took them and beat them and besmeared them with dirt and put them into the cage that they might be made a spectacle of all the men of the fair. And then came a mock trial in which the two men faced condemnation by the city. Envy claimed that he heard faithful once say that Christianity and the customs of our town of vanity were diametrically opposed and could not be reconciled. You can almost imagine it. Superstition said he heard faithful say that our religion was naught, nothing, and such by which a man could by no means please God. And after faithful made a brief defense of his statements, the judge charged the jury with the case. And the, the jury was made up of characters such as Mr. Blind Man, Mr. No Good, Mr. Malice, Mr. High Mind, Mr. Hate Light. They returned a, vilt, a guilty verdict. They called for a cruel death. And this is how it was described. They therefore brought him out to do with him according to their law. And first they scourged him. Then they buffeted him. Then they lanced his flesh with knives. And after that, they stoned him with stones. They then pricked him with their swords. And last of all, they burned him to ashes at the stake. Thus came faithful to his end. Meanwhile, Christian, and this is where Bunyan instructs us so well in Pilgrim's Progress, 
Meanwhile, Christian, by he that overrules all things, having the power of their rage in his own hand, so wrought it about that Christian for that time escaped from them and went his way. And so Bunyan, writing from his prison, expresses the experience of believers living through especially the 16th and 17th centuries. And his, his story really doesn't begin with his birth. It started many years before the during the English Reformation in the 16th century. Charles I, uh, who followed James I, King James, kind of familiar with that name. Uh, he, he was the first of the Stuart monarchy and, uh, and followed the, the tutor Elizabeth I, who had restored some of the rights of those who were called nonconformists, those who were not conforming to the state religion. Uh, those who are our evangelical forefathers. Stephen Nichols points out that with James I's uh, reign, the Reformation took a few steps back. His Catholic wife had influenced him, and uh, his ineptness and inflexibility put him at odds with Parliament, and that laid foundation for the English Civil War during the 1640s. Bunyan was born during Charles' reign in 1628. And the English Reformation was continuing during his teenage years. And uh, it, this was happening while the, uh, the Westminster Assembly was taking place where they uh, developed the Westminster Confession, the larger and shorter catechism, catechism in the Directory for Public Worship. And under Oliver Cromwell's leadership in 1649, the parliamentary forces defeated King Charles' army and because Charles was accused of high treason and instigating the Civil War, he lost his head over that one. And Cromwell took the title of Lord Protector, leaving Britain without a monarchy. Well, Cromwell would not take the crown for himself. Uh, once he died, his son couldn't handle the responsibilities. And so Charles II, starting in 1660, who had fled to the continent, was recalled to the throne by Parliament in 1660. This period was known as the period of the Restoration. And this was when there was a massive reaction to the Puritans that was taking place. This is what began to affect John Bunyan. And so Parliament restored episcopacy and the Book of Common Prayer, and, he, and they sought to stamp out any kind of independent movements. And the achievements of the Puritans were reversed at this point. And it was during this time that John Bunyan spent a dozen years in, in jail in Bedford. Well, Bunyan was born in November the 30th, 1628. His family was a working-class family in the village of Elstow near Bedford. And Bunyan was baptized into the Church of England. He said virtually nothing about his parents in his writings. Uh, his silence really indicates that he did not have good spiritual influence from his parents. Instead, he wrote in Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners that from childhood he had few equals with personal ungodliness. Even in his younger years, he said he was given to cursing and swearing and lying and blaspheming the holy name of God. And these characteristics, he said, were so settled and rooted in him, they became second nature to him. And even though he was bothered about his sin as early as a nine or ten-year-old, he continued, even as a teenager, rejecting any thought of God and piety 
of heaven or hell. He accounted himself as easily given to sin. And Bunyan despised, despite the fact that he was given to sin, he despised any religious hypocrite. Now, you know, you, you're trying to reason and go, okay, how do you put that together? If one professed religion, he said, they needed to live the part. And he said, if they didn't, it made my spirit tremble. And this attitude probably spurred the development of some of the chief characters in Pilgrim's Progress, such as pliable, presumption, formalist, and hypocrisy. And in his spiritual autobiography, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners, he recalls how the Lord did not abandon him. And this, this is where he looks back and he sees the hand of providence. He said twice uh, he uh, w- would have drowned, and the Lord uh, prevented that from happening. Another occasion, I guess in an act of folly, he stunned a poisonous snake and pulled its fangs out, and it was stunned long enough that it didn't bite him. And then another occasion during the English Civil War where he was a, a soldier, he swapped guard duty with another soldier, and that soldier was killed standing on Bunyan's watch. There, All these little things here and there began to mount. This is the providence of God working in this man's life who was doing nothing for his own spiritual life. He married when he was 21. There's no record of his first wife's name, but this was a turning point in his life. For evidently, his father-in-law uh, was a godly man, and Bunyan said, this woman, we don't even know what her name is, this woman and I, though we were together as poor as poor might be, not having so much household stuff as a dish or spoon betwixt us both, yet she had for her part two books, The Plain Man's Pathway to Heaven and The Practice of Piety, which her father had left her uh, when he died. And so Bunyan treasured these books. He read them, and they were pointing the way to know the Lord God. Uh, And yet, he still wasn't spiritually awakened. But because he was reading these books, he fancied himself as having become very religious. Now, he hadn't abandoned his wicked life, but he started attending church, and he entered into the religious superstitions that were characteristic of his day. Uh, He saw that Israelites were in God's favor, so he hoped that he was Jewish so he would find happiness. And he was much dejected when his father told him that the Bunyans were not Jewish. And so all the while, there was no conviction of sin. That's why Bunyan lays so much emphasis on conviction of sin in Pilgrim's Progress. So how about the conviction of sin? Well, after his pastor preached a sermon on the evil of Sabbath-breaking, Bunyan began to take serious inventory of his life. He would utilize Sundays to delight in all manner of vice, as he said, And for the first time he could remember, he began to feel a load of guilt about what he was doing on Sundays. And he thought the parson had conspired against him to preach on such a topic. So after lunch that day, he decided he was going to do his regular amusements. And he played a game that was called Tip Cat. Maybe it was an early forerunner of baseball. I mean, they would hit a piece of wood up in the air with it. So maybe sort of like in baseball. And he said, as he was playing tip cat on that Sunday, a voice did suddenly dart from heaven into my soul, which said, Wilt thou leave thy sins and go to heaven, or have thy sins and go to hell? And he sensed the Lord was displeased with him. 
But even at that point, he didn't seek forgiveness. And he said, I felt my heart sink in despair, concluding it was too late. And therefore, I resolved in my mind that I would go on in sin. And he reasoned that since he was already damned, he might as well be damned for many sins as for few sins. Kind of sounds like a modern American, doesn't it? I mean, you, you think about how many have been exposed to the law of God and exposed to the gospel without any kind of true Christianity. And their consciences may have some wincing at sin, and they may have even a little bit of a concern about judgment, but they conclude, what's the use of pretending to be religious? I'm going to hell with everyone else. Must not be all that bad. Everybody else is going there. Might as well indulge whatever I desire. This is important for us to remember when we're praying and we're evangelizing. We can do just as Bunyan's preacher did, speak on the probing truth, and there could be some kind of temporary consideration for someone concerning their soul. But unless the Spirit of God begins to work, unless He brings deep Holy Spirit conviction to impress the mind and heart of one's lostness, that person will see no real need for the Lord Jesus. And so while we are laboring together in the gospel. We need to be laboring together in prayer. We set forth the law. We set forth the gospel. But we depend upon the Holy Spirit to bring forth the fruit of genuine conversion. Later, as Bunyan reflected on this time, he admitted that his conclusion that he was already damned motivated him, to, as he called it, to taste the sweetness of sin. So he pursued it with as much haste as he could, filling his belly with sin's delicacies, thinking that he would soon die. So he wanted to fulfill all of his sinful desires. And obviously, uh, as he observed, this kind of temptation came from the devil. It didn't come from God, obviously. And uh, he, he said that the devil seeks in such case to overrun their spirits with a scurvy and seared frame of heart and benumbing their conscience. But the Lord, yet the Lord wouldn't let him go. One interesting occasion is that um, Bunyan was put to shame by an ungodly woman. Uh, he considered himself very skilled at profanity. Uh, evidently, uh, he excelled in it. And so he said, as he stood cursing and swearing near this lady's house, she rebuked him. And although, as he described her, this woman was a very loose and ungodly wretch, she complained about his cursing, telling him that... He would spoil all the youth in a whole town if they came in his company. But this was God's providence at work. This lady didn't have evangelistic intentions in her mind. And yet God was pleased to apply the brunt of the law through this lady who is an unbeliever to accomplish eternal purposes. We must never think everything depends on us and the lost getting converted. I mean... Does that mean we shrink back? No, 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 not in the least bit. We spread the gospel. But it is the Lord who's bringing the lost into the fold, ultimately. Well, the impact of this time proved rather remarkable because Bunyan spoke of how he'd been so profane even since he was a child that his father never corrected him or tried to teach him otherwise, which kind of tells you something about what was going on in his home. And yet the shaming rebuke of this uh, loose and ungodly wretch so affected his cursing that he quit cursing. But he was not a believer. He still didn't know Christ. 
Now, this bears, I think, a momentary question. Is it our job to try to reform people morally as the means to their conversion? That is known as legalism. It is dangerous, and Bunyan deals with that in Pilgrim's Progress. I mean, are we to focus on the moral change? Maybe we think, well, they'll be more fun to be around. Sure they will, but it's not going to change their heart, and they may be deceived as formalists and legalists were in Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, People can reform their ways but never be converted. So we must not pretend with anyone that if they'll just clean their life up a little bit, They'll be good little Christians. No, they'll be desperately hell-bound sinners who maybe act a little nicer, a little more enjoyable to be around, but it takes genuine conversion through the gospel and the work of the Holy Spirit for that person to have the kind of change that will bring them into the kingdom of God. And this happened with Bunyan. Around the same time of this lady... Uh, shaming him, he began to read the Bible. And so there was some progress that was happening, but he still didn't know Christ. He said, wherefore, I fell to some outward reformation, both in my words and my life, and did set the commandments before me for my way to heaven. In other words, he, as he says, these commandments I strive to keep, and as I thought, did keep them pretty well, and then I should have comfort. And he got to the point of, of thinking that he pleased God as well as anyone in England. <laughs> Isn't that the heart of a legalist? And some of his neighbors began to commend him as a godly man. And he liked what he heard and he took pride in it. And he said he loved to be talked about as someone that was truly godly. And this continued for a year that he thought his outward behavior evidenced him being a Christian I mean, so he took consolation in these comments about his morality. But this is the subtleness of morality as a substitute for conversion. Christ doesn't make us new moral creatures. He makes us new creatures in Christ, in union with him. And so because of outward changes, a person is more pleasant to be around, but that doesn't make them Christian. And so uh, we, we see that happening with Bunyan. I've encountered this kind of person quite a few times over the years as a follower of Christ and as a pastor, and many of them become rather stubborn in their moral superiority. They look at that, and they say, well, that's enough. Is it? Then you've not looked at God. You've not seen God in his glory, and you've honestly not looked in the mirror and seen yourself for who you are. And Bunyan certainly came to that point where he saw that. Well, during this time, he had these odd fears with death. He, he thought that if he engaged in ringing bells at the local parish church, that one of the bells might fall on him and kill him. And so he would stand under a beam while the bell ringing was going on, so the bell would hit the beam. Or he would stand near a door so he could run out and make a quick exit because he thought maybe the steeple would fall on him. And later he saw that he had no confidence in Christ and no assurance uh, that he belonged to Christ. And then he wrote, But poor wretch as I was, I was all this while ignorant of Jesus Christ and going about to establish my own righteousness and had perished therein had not God in mercy showed me more of my state of nature. He thought he could work enough righteousness, but he couldn't. 
because it takes the righteousness of Christ to be welcomed into the presence of God. I mean, do you identify with Bunyan? I know for a number of years, I had that same kind of smugness uh, about my moral respectability, being a nice kid and, and all that. Uh, it wasn't hard to pick out a few bad boys and compare myself to them and feel good about myself. That was only because I knew so little of the holiness of God and knew so little of the wretchedness of my own heart. Well, next, through the wicked gate. If you read Pilgrim's Progress, you know what the wicked gate is. There's his conversion. Conversion, doubt, and assurance. Well, we learn some of the insightful ways that God works in our hearts as we hear uh, Bunyan's story of his conversion. Now, keep in mind that he was uh, self-righteous, and self-righteousness tends to numb the soul to the truth of the gospel. And yet, God showed mercy to him through the unexpected conversation with three or four poor Christian women. I mentioned it this morning in the sermon. Uh, Bunyan was a tinker, and a, uh, a tinker, and it's kind of like something you, you, know, you say, well, I'm just kind of tinkering around with this or that. Well, as a tinker, he had a heavy burden he would carry around, a, little, a small anvil. And so you, you have this picture of Christian in Pilgrim's Progress carrying this burden of sin. Well, Bunyan walked around with this heavy burden in his tools because he would repair pots and pans. And so he was repairing these pans and uh, pots and pans. And these three or four ladies were discussing how miserable they were before coming to faith in Christ. And they admitted the truth about their own natures being at enmity with God and how they were inclined to sin. And they spoke about the new birth and they spoke about the work of God in their hearts these are truths that Bunyan did not understand. And they demonstrated uh, this remarkable joy as they talked about God's love and the abundant ways that the Lord had strengthened them. And their, their conversation was laced with Scripture. Uh, and so here were these joyous women, and Bunyan said, it appeared as if they had found a new world as if they were people that dwelt alone and were not to be reckoned among their neighbors. Isn't that a beautiful description of Christians and how transformed we are right in the middle of the world? And so it turned out that a number of these uh, women were members of a church pastored by a man by the name of John Gifford, and he would eventually become Bunyan's pastor and mentor. And so his intention, because he thought himself pretty religious and pretty sharp, and he thought he could discourse quite well, was to enter into the conversation with these women. But he was so stunned by what they had to say in his own lack of a real spiritual life that he just went back to tinkering with the pots and pans because true conviction was beginning to work. He, he wrote, At this I felt my own heart began to shake as mistrusting my condition for, for naught. For I saw that in all my thoughts about religion and salvation, the new birth did never enter into my mind. Neither knew I the comfort of the word and promise, nor the deceitfulness and treachery of my own wicked heart. Thus, therefore, when I had heard and considered what they said, I left them and went about my employment again. But their talk and discourse went with me. He couldn't get away from it. Also, my heart would tarry with them. For I was greatly affected with their words, both because by them I was convinced 
that I wanted the true tokens of a truly godly man, and also because by them I was convinced of the happy and blessed condition of him that was such a one. So the simple overheard conversation, three or four Christian women just talking about Christ, talking about Scripture, and Bunyan was eavesdropping on them. And that's what the Lord used to bring him to repentance. The same thing happened uh, a, another uh, couple of generations later with a man by the name of John Wesley as he listened to Moravian brethren in the middle of a, uh, of a ship that was being tossed about singing and giving testimony to the graciousness of the Lord and their confidence in Christ. And that eventually led to Wesley's conversion. We don't know the times the Lord simply wants to use our casual conversation in others' lives. Not that we're talking and saying, well, by the way, Raymond, uh, what do you think about... Now, I don't mean something so cornball as that. But, all right, be honest. You go to a restaurant and you're sitting there. Don't you listen to what's going on at the next table? Yeah, you do, don't you? Don't kid me on that. Or you're standing in line waiting to go in somewhere. Yeah, you know, we're listening. Who knows? We're just... Just doing normal, just normal Christian stuff, just talking about the Lord. But the question is, does our conversation savor of Christ? Bunyan gave a wonderful picture of this in the conversion of Hopeful, who lived in the town of Vanity Fair. Now, you remember that Christian and Faithful were manacled in a cage, and, and they were tried, and Faithful was executed but while they were manacled together, hopeful, listened to their conversation, and he watched their lives in the midst of suffering. And he joined himself to Christian, and he entered into covenant with him, and he told him that he would be his companion on the journey to the celestial city. And then Bunyan narrates, Thus one died, speaking of faithful, to make testimony to the truth, and another rises out of his ashes to be a companion with Christian in his pilgrimage. That is his work of grace. Well, around that, this time, Bunyan was regenerated, and, and it was so evident in his life because he had this, this tenderness uh, in listening to the teaching of Scripture. He was convicted by the Word in the very depths of his being, and unlike previous occasions that appeared to be superficial, now there were these deep changes. He felt the weightiness of his sin, and he testified as he wrote, to a great bending of, on, of my mind, to a continual meditating on it. That is on the gospel these poor women were talking about and on all the other good things which at that time I heard of and read of. His mind was fixed on eternity and he was so consumed with the kingdom of God. And this proof of conversion came when one of his friends that he used to get into all kinds of ungodly behavior uh, with came to him and, and he... He encouraged Bunyan to go out with him, and Bunyan called uh, attention to eternal issues with this man, and he said he found no desire to go with him, and that behavior demonstrated that even though Bunyan didn't know very much at that point in terms of really understanding doctrine, he knew that he had a new heart, and he knew that he couldn't go along with what he had been living like before, and he admitted that uh, it, had he 
followed this idea, oh, you can just do anything you want to do. Now that you're a Christian, you're under grace. No, he understood that being under grace meant you're going to follow Christ. That meant you've got a whole new view of the law, beautiful view of the law. You see it in its majesty in revealing the character of God, and that affected Bunyan. What later showed up in Bunyan's writings was his love for the Word of God. He wrote, the Bible was precious to me in those days. Uh, he said he looked at it with new eyes. He read it as he had never read it before, and he explained, Indeed, I was then never out of the Bible, either by reading or meditation, still crying out to God that I might know the truth and the way to heaven and glory. Uh, this characteristic caused Charles Haddon Spurgeon to later comment, Prick him anywhere, talking about Bunyan. Prick him anywhere, and you will find that his blood is Bibeline. The very essence of the Bible flows from him. He cannot speak without quoting a text, for his soul is full of the Word of God. Now, I think in our day of cookie-cutter Christians, it's refreshing to read about a Bunyan that struggled with his sin. It's okay for somebody to struggle with their sin. We need to rejoice when we see that instead of thinking, oh, we've got to find a quick way to get them out of that. Let them struggle. The Spirit of God is at work. We have too much tendency to, to produce these carbon copy Christians that everyone kind of goes through the same routine and calls themselves Christians. But the reality is that we encounter different experiences in the process of conversion and assurance. Though we're all saved by the work of Jesus Christ alone in his death and resurrection, our stories are going to vary. Uh, some may never remember a date uh, or time of their conversion, but they give very clear evidence that they have the new birth. Others have this dramatic moment that led to their trust in Christ. Some can uh, plot a steady progress toward conviction and understanding and faith in Christ, and others trust Christ, but due to their personalities, they struggle more with assurance. Some go through the motions of becoming Christians because of their upbringing, but later, through one circumstance or another, they're brought to a true knowledge of Christ. Now, I point this out because it's very important for us to be patient with people through their spiritual struggles. I might add, be patient with ourselves in our spiritual struggles. I mean, on one hand, we do not need to try to do the work that only the Holy Spirit can do. We cannot produce the new birth with clever techniques. We cannot talk someone into being born again. Read John 3, and you'll see that just emblazed upon your thoughts. I mean, some Christians are well-meaning, I'm sure. They go through a certain evangelism training, and I, I've certainly profited from evangelism training. But they think, because I've had this training, I know everything that a person needs to know in order to be converted. And so if they'll just follow the shoe, if they'll put on the shoe that I have for their foot, it's going to fit them. It may not fit them. I mean, it's not that you don't talk about the gospel, but it may be that the approach you're taking is not what that person needs, the way they're the warp and woof of their lives. Um, our responsibility is to be so thoroughly acquainted with the gospel, to be saturated in the gospel, to read it, to study it, to live in it, to meditate on it, to discuss it, to apply it, that in the course of our God-given opportunities to speak the gospel to others and depend upon the Holy Spirit to change the heart. 
any attempt that we have to try to manipulate to a decision uh, really cuts short this real need of the work of God in the soul. Uh, no one came to Bunyan and trying to get him to pray a little prayer and then declare him a Christian. They let him struggle with his soul's condition. They let him sweat it. They let him wrestle. And then the Lord used multiple witnesses to bring about his repentance and faith. Now, John Bunyan had his own struggles before coming to assurance that he had trusted Christ. And, and some of this, I, I think, we can observe was due to his personality. He was a keenly sensitive person, probably somewhat melancholy in his disposition. And such a person may struggle more so than that happy-go-lucky kind of personality. And if you're involved in pastoral care, you've got to recognize this. You've got to pray for discernment when working with people through these kinds of spiritual issues. So Bunyan's sensitivities focus on whether or not he was one of the elect and whether or not the day of grace had passed him by. He'd struggle with that. He was so keenly conscious. And at first, he was actually offended by the doctrine of election. And the reason, he explained, was due to relying only upon the mercy of God. What happens after a while? We go, thank God for his mercy. That's all that I rely upon. But at first, he had trouble seeing that. This drove him to the Scriptures, where he found not only election to be a, a pleasant doctrine, but found confidence to trust the Lord who gave him evidence of being elected by God. And so when he wrestled over whether or not the day of grace had passed him by, he bemoaned his sinfulness and the years he had wasted in wickedness, and he thought his delay in trusting the Lord had put him far away from grace. And he came across the parable in Luke 14, 22 and 23, compelled him to come in that my house may be filled, the nobleman told his servant. And he replied that it was done, and yet there is room. Yet there is room. And Bunyan wrote, and yet there is room, were sweet words to me, for truly I thought that by them I saw there was place enough in heaven for me. And moreover, that when the Lord Jesus did speak these words, he then did speak them of me. And that he, knowing that the time would come, that I should be afflicted with fear, that there was no place left for me in his bosom, did before speak this word and leave it upon record that I might find help thereby against this vile temptation. See the power of God's word. Well, with each struggle with assurance, Bunyan found him as, as, uh, as goads driving him to the word of God. Uh, no one gave him a pat solution. You know, sit down, okay, here's three things you got to do. One, two, three, everything's fine. No, nobody did that with him. They gave him up to the Lord. They let him struggle in the good hands of the Savior until he found his assurance in Christ. That's pretty good instruction for us, isn't it? I mean, fellow believers pointed him to the Word. They didn't try to give him assurance. Even Pastor Gifford, whom Bunyan later memorializes as evangelist in Pilgrim's Progress, uh, didn't shortcut the process of the Holy Spirit's work in his life. He spoke with Bunyan. He encouraged him. He pointed him to Christ. And he invited him to his home where he spoke with others about the dealings of God with his soul. So we can learn from Bunyan. We live in a psychotherapeutic era that typically looks for quick 
easy solutions, even when it comes to soul solutions. And so we can learn from Bunyan and his fellow 17th century believers, first, that Christ alone can satisfy the desperate heart. It's Jesus. That's not a bumper sticker slogan. It is Jesus alone that can satisfy the desperate heart. And so we mustn't substitute some kind of trite formula or cliche for a sinner exchanging his rags for Christ's righteousness and receiving the assurance of forgiveness. Second, the Word of God is sufficient for every struggle of the soul. Bunyan kept, uh, Bunyan's friends kept referring him to the promises in the Word. They just kept pointing him back, go back to the Word. And that drove him back and back to Scripture. And consequently, throughout his entire Christian life, Bunyan relied upon the Word of God. That's the goal of Christian discipleship. Uh, I mean, consider an example of how Bunyan uh, went to the Word and he was met and challenged. He said on one occasion he thought of the wickedness and blasphemy in which he had lived for so long. And with his sensitive spirit, this would drive him right to the precipice. He was just ready to lose everything. But the scripture was brought to his mind from Colossians 1.20 that Christ has made peace through the blood of his cross. And Bunyan commented, by which I was made to see both again and again and again that day that God and my soul were friends by this blood. Don't you love that phrase? That God and my soul were friends by this blood. Yea, I saw that the justice of God and my sinful soul could embrace and kiss each other through this blood. Third, while we do well to offer biblical counsel to those in need, we must rely upon the Holy Spirit for lasting, transforming work in the soul. Uh, if we attempt to manipulate someone to make a decision so we feel better about ourselves and notch our evangelistic belts, uh, we do injustice to sinners as well as to the kingdom of God. And this is where John Gifford, his pastor, provided such a wonderful example. His practice was to press his hearers, whether from the pulpit or whether in private practice, not to simply trust what a man says but rather uh, to cry mightily to God that he would convince us of the reality of what is being said and set us down therein by his own spirit in the holy word. And th the reason is quite plain. If temptation came, uh, that believer who is anchored simply in his own convictions and not in scripture is going to succumb to temptation. But if he or she is anchored in the word of God, then there is help and strength and hope. Now, Bunyan placed himself under the pastoral ministry of John Gifford. Uh, Gifford had been a major in the king's army, and he lived a wicked life. He was condemned to death on one occasion, and he escaped the death sentence, and in God's mercy came under conviction, knew the forgiveness of sin in Christ's atoning work, and he, he grew in the Lord, and he began a church in 1650, and Bunyan started attending in 1653, became a member in 1655. He was baptized by Gifford in the waters of the great river Ouse, Ouse uh, or Ouse, I have no idea how to pronounce that, but I'm just, I'm just being honest with you. Ouse, Ouse, um, which flows through Bedford, 
And through that time, even though his time with Gifford was brief, uh, it, it left a mark on his life. And evidently, Bunyan just soaked up everything that he heard from the pulpit and everything in discussion, everything he read, everything he meditated on Scripture. He said, How was my soul led from truth to truth by God? For to my remembrance there was not anything that I then cried unto God to make known and reveal unto me, but he was pleased to do it for me. I mean, not one part of the gospel of the Lord Jesus, but I was orderly led into it. And along the way, he struggled, for instance, with the two natures of Christ, his deity and his humanity, and he had to be convinced in, in Scripture. And so it, right in the midst of his struggle, he read Revelation 5, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb. And he said that he reflected, in the midst of the throne, thought I, there is his Godhead. In the midst of the elders, there is his manhood. But oh, methought, very old British, but oh, methought, this did glister. It was a goodly touch and gave me sweet satisfaction. He was able to pick upon errors in others' teaching because he just got into the Word. He proved things by the Scripture. Bunyan identified the process that the Lord was using with him. He, he said that first he would be afflicted with some kind of temptation. It might be an issue of sin. It might be a false teaching. It might be a trial. And then he would find refuge in Christ through the Word. And he had committed so much of Scripture to memory that consequently he was just regularly meditating upon the Word in whatever situation was going on. Now, he did profit by reading others uh, in God's kind providence. A copy of Martin Luther's uh, commentary in Galatians fell into his hands, and he said that the book was so old that it was ready to fall piece from piece if I did but turn it over, but he devoured it. And I would highly recommend Luther's commentary on Galatians as well. And he said uh, that it was as if this book had been written out of my heart, and I do prefer this book of Martin Luther upon the Galatians, accepting the Holy Bible before all the books I've ever read as most fit for a wounded conscience. And then soon after his conversion, it seemed that the Lord began to intensely train Bunyan for what lay ahead. He, he told of a period of a year that... A day hardly passed that he did not face some more grievous and dreadful temptation than, than before. And some of this was because of his personality. Uh, the temptation, is, in his words, uh, was to sell and part with this most blessed Christ, to exchange him for the things of this life, for anything. And sometimes he thought, sell him, sell him, sell him, would just run, run endlessly through his mind. And the tempter would come to try to make him believe that he had consented to this temptation and he would be racked in his mind like he was uh, uh, being tortured for days on end. And he would sit down to a meal and the, and the temptation would be, sell him, sell him. And he'd leave the table to go pray. And he'd gain momentary relief only to think of Esau that sowed his birthright for a bowl of, of porridge. And then one morning from sleep he arose and the thought hit him. The blood of Christ remits all guilt. And the verse from 1 John 1, 7 came to mind. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses from all sin. Peace 
filled his soul at the very thought of this triumph. And that priest, that peace would sustain him, and then he would plummet again, and then once again he would go to the Word of God, and the Lord would use that Word in his life. You see, Bunyan understood that assurance of salvation is not a, de- a decision that we make. I mean, how often have I heard that through my 50 years of preaching uh, that it's, it's a decision? No, it's not a decision. It is a reality of the grace of God at work in your life to sustain you, to encourage you, to strengthen you, to keep walking with the Lord. That's why we're told to endure, to persevere, because it is in that process that our assurance grows. Bunyan illustrated this in Pilgrim's Progress by talking about the role that was given uh, to Christian. And this role was the assurance of his life and his acceptance uh, in, into heaven. And, and so it was the promises of Jesus Christ in the gospel. And when that burden of sin fell off of, of his back and rolled into that empty tomb, Christian was given a robe of righteousness and this roll, this scroll to keep in his inner coat near his heart. So he describes him going up the hill of difficulty and he found a, a pleasant arbor, you know, a covering where he could sit and it was made by the Lord of the hill and to refresh weary travelers. And he sat down and he rested. And in the process of being refreshed, Bunyan likens this roll to a word of grace and he pulled out this role, and he read its contents. But as sometimes happens in our lives, he got a little careless, and he got a little presumptuous, and, and he thoughtlessly grew comfortable and slack and careless, and so he fell asleep with the roll in his hand, and it fell from his hand while he was sleeping. And then suddenly he was startled, and he had to get up and continue on his journey to the beautiful palace, but in haste he left his roll behind. He left his assurance behind. It was only after he encountered two false pilgrims running away from the beautiful palace that he realized that he missed this roll. And he chided himself for that slothfulness. And he, he had to lose this precious time by retracing his steps to get that roll. And what he's doing in that, he, he's showing how critical it is for us as believers to be living in assurance. Because as we do, hearts are thrilled in Christ. There's a joy that keeps us going. Uh, Bunyan's great consolation was Jesus Christ and his redemption. And the more that he meditated upon Christ uh, and what Christ had accomplished, the less he found himself retreating back to the law for righteousness. And so he contemplated Christ's faithfulness in the new covenant. And he wrote, oh, I cannot now express what then I saw and felt of the steadiness of Jesus Christ, the rock of man's salvation. What was done could not be undone, added to nor altered. So this theme of the righteousness of Christ became a constant companion in his sermons, his writing. It was in his uh, his books. And toward the end of this long period of struggling, he walked through a field one day when the thought struck him, Thy righteousness is in heaven. And he realized that while condemning himself for his failures, he'd been trying to increase his own righteous standing with God by the works of the law. And when he did well, he felt 
that he was more inclined to God and God was more pleased with him. When he fell into sin, he thought his righteousness had diminished. But that error in thinking proved to be destructive to him and it led him through many, many difficulties as it has so many others through the centuries. His righteousness was in heaven because Christ was in heaven at God's right hand. And God couldn't ask for more righteousness than that of Jesus Christ. And when we are in union with Jesus Christ, then God accepts Christ's righteousness as our very own righteousness. This is how Bunyan described it. I also saw, moreover, that it was not my good frame of heart that made my righteousness better, nor yet my bad frame that made my righteousness worse. For my righteousness was Jesus Christ himself the same yesterday and today and forever. Now did my chains fall off my legs indeed. I was loose from my affliction in irons. My temptations also fled away. So that from that time, those dreadful scriptures of God left off to trouble me. Now went I home rejoicing for the grace and love of God. So when I came home, I looked to see if I could find that sentence, thy righteousness is in heaven. I could not find such a saying. Wherefore, my heart began to sink again. Only that was brought to my remembrance that he, Jesus of God, is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And he said, by this word, I saw the other sentence was true. As he thought of Christ and his righteousness being made by God, the believers, wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, he further contemplated his union with Christ, especially as set forth in Ephesians 5.30, because we are members of his body. He wrote, by this also was my faith in him, my, as my righteousness more confirmed to me. For if he and I were one, then his righteousness was mine, his merits mine, his victory also mine. Now I could see myself in heaven and on earth at once. In heaven by my Christ, by my head, by my righteousness in life, though on earth by my body or person. Well, in Pilgrim's Progress, Christian had come to the beautiful palace, which allegorically referred to the church. And he was examined. I love that he was examined before being admitted by discretion uh, so he could gain admittance by uh, and, and was engaged in conversation by three ladies, prudence, piety, and charity. And they questioned him regarding his faith in his walk in Christ. And prudence asked him about his annoyances, referring to areas in which he had struggled, and by what means those annoyances were vanquished. Christian responded, yes, when I think what I saw at the cross, that will do. And when I look upon my broidered coat, that is the righteousness of Christ, that will do. And also when I look into the role, that assurance in the promises in the gospel, that I carry in my bosom, that will do. And when my thoughts wax warm about whither I am going, the hope of heaven in Christ, then that will do it. And so what Bunyan was doing, he was saying, this is what we have as Christians. We have the righteousness of Christ. We're in union with him. We have the promises in the gospel. We have the certainty and assurance. We have this hope that is ours in Jesus Christ. And he learned to live in that. And so part of the question 
Are we living in that? A few lessons. First, Bunyan was not an educated person by the 17th century standards, or certainly not by ours. He, he had attended what amounts to grammar school, where he learned to read and write. So we can't attribute what he learned to his incisive academic career. As much as that's important and that's good, the Holy Spirit makes up for a lot. Second, though highly introspected and even given to dreams, he did not rely upon his imagination as the source of his comfort or for direction in his life. He always went to the Word. He devoured the Scriptures. He gave his soul no rest until he found the answer in the Word of God. And that became the guiding principle in his life. And it's certainly set forth in this allegory uh, known as Pilgrim's Progress. Third, a portion of Bunyan's suffering came as a direct result of his own psychological, emotional framework. Now, it's vital that we grasp something of how he dealt with his own personality in regards to his, uh, to his spiritual life. Because each of us are wired differently, and we face struggles differently. We're, we're not all like Raymond in the way Raymond would face his struggles. Uh, we're, we're not all like Terry in the way Terry would face his struggles. And so it's encouraging to see how Bunyan dealt with his own very ten, in, intense depression and melancholy temperament. And I, I, I think you'll agree, even with this brief sketch, that he had a keenly sensitive conscience. One Christian psychiatrist, Gaius uh, Davis, wrote a very interesting book called Genius, Guilt, and Grace. And he analyzes a number of, of Christian figures in, uh, in Christian history. And according to him, he said Bunyan suffered from a severe obsessive-compulsive disorder. For instance, his repetitive struggle with words, sell him, sell him, sell him, uh, and the constant thinking about Esau, was evidence of this obsessive-compulsive behavior. And that led him to an over-conscientiousness about what he wanted above all to get things absolutely right. And so this promoted his perfectionist tendencies so that if he felt even a tinge of doubt, he plummeted thinking that it was evidence that he didn't belong to Christ. And much of his own autobiography uh, is Bunyan's testimony to these these inward struggles. But Dr. Davis goes on and, and demonstrates uh, that this was not a weakness in Bunyan, but it rather happened to be the way his mind and psyche worked. You see, sometimes we'll look at others and say, well, you know, you've got a weakness because you're not like me. No. We've all got our weaknesses, but the Spirit of God works in the midst of those. And although he struggled for a while, he eventually got this part of his life under control by disciplining his thinking according to the Word of God. And Davis explains that his suffering should not be called an illness. Instead, Bunyan is a good example of how the spiritual and psychiatric aspects, though separate, are inevitably entwined, intertwined. As Bunyan worked on the spiritual part of his life, it had a remarkable impact on the psychological life. And additionally, as, as Davis points out, over-conscientiousness had much to do with his going into and staying in prison. And that imprisonment gave us his three greatest books, Pilgrim's Progress, Holy War, and Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. And Christians, 
and unbelievers for centuries have been impacted. So do we say, man, he had a he had real problems. Yeah. And so do you. And so do I. But God works in the middle of it. So rather than pity Bunyan because he suffered with a melancholy disposition, we need to recognize that the God of providence governed his life and circumstances so that the kingdom of God has been enriched by his contributions while Bunyan experienced immeasurable joy in Christ due to those intense periods of suffering and seeking and discovering more of Christ. So much for cookie-cutter Christians, right? So Bunyan vividly illustrates, as do many other figures in Christian history, of how God works with each person's strengths and weaknesses and personalities and frailties and foibles and struggles. And so we've got to be careful that we not disregard uh, a person because he or she is, has some personality or psychological weakness in the way we perceive it. But rather, if we had been one of Bunyan's pastors, we would have seen that kind of thing. We would have said, he's going to be a high-maintenance person. He's going to require a lot of time. And aren't you thankful for John Gifford who invested in him like that? I mean, they answered his questions when he began to sag and patiently brought him along. I mean, would we have grown impatient with John Bunyan? And Pastor Gifford, the unnamed women, others kept pointing Bunyan to Christ and understanding that Christ alone makes us a whole person. We're all flawed. All of us have our peculiar areas of weakness in our dispositions and our personalities and our temperaments and our psyches. And the fall of Adam in Genesis 3 left us marred at every point. But it is Jesus Christ through the gospel that makes us whole. That doesn't mean that becoming a Christian eliminates melancholy or depression or carelessness or laziness or any other number of issues that are inherent to us. Instead, being in union with Christ as Bunyan so clearly discovered and taught, enables us to overcome the natural weaknesses or at minimum get them under Christ's control. Fourth, Bunyan teaches us about the struggle of the soul to come to grips with the gospel so that one relies on Christ's righteousness alone and not his own. Uh, for Bunyan, as well as for the, certainly for the rest of us, conversion is not three simple steps or simply praying a prayer or making a decision. One dead in, in trespasses and sins encounters the risen, ascended Christ. This life at enmity with God comes face to face with the wrath of God unleashed upon His Son at the cross. And one guilty, deserving wrath struggles to see how God could actually forgive and reconcile Him to Himself, one who's been such an enemy. Bunyan pictures this with Christian and Pilgrim's progress carrying this huge burden on his back. Uh, and if you take a, a peek at Dangerous Journey, the pictures are great. So y'all may want to hold the book up and let some other people look at it. But this is what he said. He reads in the book, and it's what he calls the Bible, that I am condemned to die and after that to come to judgment. And I find that I am not willing to do the first, uh, 
nor able to do the second. And so he began the journey to the wicked gate where evangelists told him to go, where he could find relief from his burden. But as he leaves, his family begs him not to go, and he puts his fingers in his ears to deafen their appeals, and his neighbors mock him and threaten him, try to keep him staying in that city of destruction. And yet so intense is this weight of the burden of his sin and so conscious of the reality of judgment that nothing can deter him from finding relief for his soul. And he slogs through the slew of despond where he struggles to free himself to no avail, but he could not get out because of the burden that was upon his back until evangelist comes to him and drew him out. So there's the gospel being spoken. Drew him out and set him upon sound ground and bid him go his way. And so Bunyan pictures this struggle with sin and the struggle with staying focused on the gospel and the struggle with the world's opposition to the way of Christ. And humanly speaking, only the one bearing the good news can aid that struggler until the burden of sin tumbles into the empty tomb. Bunyan makes the case that a broken heart is the handiwork of God. In the sight of God, an excellent thing, because a broken heart is submissive. It falleth before God and giveth to him his glory. A broken heart prizes Christ and has a high esteem for him. It is a thankful heart for that sense of sin and of grace it has received. It is an excellent thing in the sight of God because it is a heart that desires now to become a receptacle or habitation for the spirit and graces of the Spirit of God. Bunyan's own struggles exhibited this brokenness through which he came to union with Jesus Christ and the joy of assurance of sin and forgiveness. All right, I'm looking at my time. Let me just mention a few more things. I'm halfway through my notes. I told you, I told you it's going to be like that. So, um, just a, a few years after he'd been converted, five or six years, the church, and this is important, the church recognized Bunyan's gifts. And so they, they asked him to, they, they saw the evidence of God's hand upon his life, and they asked him to uh, speak to a group, and he did. And it was like, wow, this guy's got a word from God. He's speaking the word so clearly. And he, he had this burden to preach the gospel. And, and so people would start coming literally by the hundreds from all parts to hear Bunyan speak. Now, this is a guy who had a grammar school education. But his grasp of the word, he so saturated himself in the word. And he, he was so affected by the word and the way he applied the word. And he communicated with such vividness that people came because people were hungry. He said, I had not preached long before some began to be touched by the word and, be, and to be greatly afflicted in their minds at the apprehensions of the greatness of their sin and their need of Jesus Christ. Uh, his, uh, his preaching began to have such an impact that John Owen, the greatest theologian of that era, told King Charles II that he would gladly trade all of his learning for Bunyan's power to preach. I mean, that's like taking 
the late J.I. Packer or Don Carson or someone like that and, and saying they would trade it for that man's ability to preach. Well, because of that preaching, he got put in jail. And he, when he got put in jail, he said that his greatest desire was to keep on preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he, he became such a, a faithful man, and he has these beautiful pictures in Pilgrim's Progress of, uh, of the pastor and what the pastor looked like. One of them is evangelist who pointed the way uh, to uh, the celestial city. Um, uh, another was in the house of the interpreter, and there's this picture uh, of one who was a very grave person uh, who has eyes lifted to heaven, the best of books in his hand, the law of truth that was written upon his lips, the world was behind his back, and stood as if it pleaded with men, and a crown of gold hung over his head. And what he was doing, he was saying that for the pastor, prayer, the word, speaking the truth, despising the things of the world, passionately pleading with sinners to come to Christ, and in heaven, the waiting, awaiting the reward for faithfulness. And then my favorite picture is found in the second part of Pilgrim's Progress with Mr. Greatheart, and that's where Bunyan's, uh, or where uh, Christian's wife, Christiana, makes her way to the celestial city. And he uh, is the, the one who, uh, Christiana is, you know, is struggling as a new Christian. She'd just been clothed with fine linen and, and she, uh, white and clean linen, and she asked this pastoral figure, Mr. Greatheart, about the details concerning the deed done to pardon uh, them of their sins. He explained, pardoned by the deed done is pardoned obtained by someone for another that hath need thereof. Not by the person pardoned, to wit, by him that lets you in the gate. And he hath obtained this double way, talking about Christ. He has performed righteousness to cover you and spilt blood to wash over you. There he's talking about both the, the uh, passive and the active righteousness of Christ. His active righteousness in uh, Christ being the end of the law for righteousness to all who believe. His passive righteousness in bearing the judgment of God for us at the cross. So he, he has all these great images um, and, and we got that because he spent about 12 years of his life in jail in Bedford. There were times the jailer would let him out. Uh, there were so many family struggles. I don't have time to get into all those things. There, there's so many difficulties that he went through. It was so hard on his family. But he said he had to decide that he would venture all on God. If he was venturing his soul on God, he could trust his family with him as well. And... By the time Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress in the very first year, he went through three printings. And uh, the latest record I had of it, it, next to the Bible, it is the best-selling book in the English-speaking language. Written by men who had all kinds of struggles, but he knew a great Savior. And one day, he crossed over that river into the celestial city. And as Bunyan described that scene uh, of Christian and hopeful going in, 
And what, what he saw, he said, after that, they shut up the gates, which when I had seen, I wish myself among them. He had heaven in his heart, and that impacted everything in his life and ministry.